And good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space here in West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley, and I'm delighted to be here this morning to join you with two of my colleagues, friends, <laughs> people who are going to keep the show on the road. I'd love to welcome into the studio again Lorraine Buckley from Newcastle West. Good, good morning, morning, Lorraine. John. How are you? Good. And Lorraine, kind of thank you because a few people have complimented the last few weeks oh. on your producing <laughs> and presenting the show. Thank you very much indeed. You're very um, welcome. They decided that uh, maybe I did need a break after all, so I did. I took, as you probably know, I took um, I took a week in Medjugorje, uh, the first week. The second week then, I was due to go for an operation. didn't turn out. It's postponed till the end of the month. So... Um, Lorraine, will you be on again? The oh, I'm sure we'll manage it. We might even train this next guy yeah, in. Exactly. Good Shane, morning, how do you feel about that? Shane Ambrose. Good, good morning. Good morning, folks. How are we doing this morning? <laughs> Not good. so bad. You're doing most things on this show. The only thing you haven't really done is you produce the well show. You might as well present at this uh, stage. I know. I think I'll stay in behind <laughs> the scenes. Stay, uh, and that, like. It's lovely to have you all here and welcome. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much for joining us. A very special welcome to those people who are listening to us at home um, on the radio and who maybe for one reason or another might be ill or housebound, can't get out of bed, can't get out of the house this morning. You're very welcome. And thank you for allowing us to, to join you in this sacred hour. Uh, for those of you who might be listening on the internet, and I know there's problems, I'm not too sure about people in Rome or Australia. I couldn't get it anyway now the last week. I don't know whether anybody else got it, but if you are listening, God bless you. <laughs> Enjoy it, um, because we really have no control over that. However, our... Um, our computer expert here, Shane, tells me uh, the great work he's doing with the blog here, but he tells me it's possible within maybe within a month we might be able to get um, some cut podcast up of the show. We won't be able to play the music part. Yeah, we'll be we, we, we able to play the conversations and the interviews, John. So it should yeah give about four weeks, and we will we will start putting up podcasts going back to about the middle of July. So there's an awful lot to catch up on. Yeah. Thank you very much, Neil, for that, Shane. Okay, at the start of each program, uh, as you know, probably at this stage, we do have a light lit in here. We we have, in, in fact, um, added one more little thing to the program over the last few weeks. We interviewed some prayer time, which we'll do in a few seconds, uh, just to allow us all maybe to stay still for just a little while and um, invite the Holy Spirit to come and join us. Um, the presentation of the program will include the usual, um, except this morning a slight little bit of a difference. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of an interrogation session, i.e. myself and Lorraine are going to ask <laughs> Shane what he's been up to over the last few years. Um, not too sure Ooh, what we're going to get him, but to. anyway, <laughs> let's see what comes out. Uh, comments about the programme at any stage would be most welcome. And thank you very much, Neil, for all of those who have made suggestions and contributions. Uh, listen to the station here. Um, oh, sorry, people who want to contact the station here during the week can do, to, do so on 069 or maybe drop a line to West Limit 102 Radio, Sheen's Road, Newcastle West. We can also be contacted by email on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. And of course, to remind you all again that we do indeed have a blog at this stage. And if people want to actually get onto the blog, uh, it's fairly simple. It's sacredspace102.blogspot.com. That's a big, big, big word. But anyway, sacredspace102 dot blogspot.com there's a load of stuff up there now at the moment and in fact there is a comment section and if those people wish to make any comments please do so also pass the message on to people who might be abroad maybe they might want to keep in contact with what's happening at home um for those people who have commented up to now thank you very much indeed 
So that's about the bits and pieces out of the way, I think. What we, what, what we try and do at the start of each programme uh, the, in these last um, few weeks is just to offer each of us this little bit of time which we can invite the Lord through the Holy Spirit to, to come and stay with us, to be with us. We also invite people who want to pray for each other, maybe pray for themselves, as Lorraine said last week, thank, thank God to be alive. Uh, for those people who have asked us for our prayers, anybody who has asked us for prayers on this programme, myself and Shane and Lorraine, include them within these next few minutes. So to help us out with this, we're going to play a nice little piece of music uh, from Monica Brown. It's uh, from her album Quiet My Soul, and it's entitled Shelter Me God. So listen to this.
No, I hope you enjoyed that uh, bit of music there, or, or that that bit of music actually helped us all to encounter possibly the Holy Spirit, hopefully the Holy Spirit and our Lord speaking to us this morning. Okay, as I said, um, this is where we get down to the real business of, of interrogation and all that sort of stuff. Um, Shane Ambrose, you have been out in Uganda, I believe, for a few years, and you've been working with um, with a group of people which I believe are called the Voluntary Missionary Movement. Is that it? Volunteer Missionary Movement, well, John. Okay. That, that's it. Yeah. Tell, tell me about these guys. What do they do? The VMM, uh, some people might recall, uh, maybe about uh, two years ago I was on with our colleague Sheila O'Reilly, but also they may have come across VMM in the parishes because in 2008 VMM had begging rights in the diocese. And basically the Volunteer Missionary Movement is a lay move, missionary movement, uh, groups of people that will work overseas with partners on the ground, okay. generally for a period placement of about two years, and what you do is you try to build the capacity of your partner on the ground. Generally, a lot of the people that go overseas would be teachers, nurses, myself like an accountant. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of pharmacists, carpenters, people like that, that go overseas, work with partners on the ground and kind of build their own ability to do their work. So okay. that ultimately when you leave, uh, they, they should be able to do it themselves. Now, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, depending on the nature of the job. Uh, like sometimes it doesn't work for teachers, obviously. Sometimes it doesn't work for pharmacists. Okay. But it's, it's, it's a way of helping people, of our, helping our partners out. And it's working where they have identified a need. We don't go in and say, you need an accountant. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a case of they come to us or they come to VMM and say, right, we need a doctor. Can you get us one? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's, that's what VMM is. It's a lay ecclesial, it's a lay missionary movement. It was set up in 1969 by Edwina Gately. Edwina is still around, uh, but she's no longer involved with the VMM. And basically, uh, it was in a response. We have a, we have a document which is called the VMM Spirit and Lifestyle, and it was written by Edwina. It kind of sets out, I suppose, what VMM sees itself as, and kind of the way it's defined is it's seen as a lay response to the call of Lumen Gentium of the Second Vatican Council for the role of the laity to expand within the church, and it's kind of you know, lay people taking the responsibility to be lay people, mm-hmm. you know, not leaving missionaries only to the mm-hmm. religious just, and the priests. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, uh, you know, as baptized, we're all called to be missionaries. Okay. So how did Shane become involved with the VMMs? Um, well, basically, I was an accountant in Dublin. I was coming to the end of a particular period of contract. And I decided I wanted to go overseas. So it was either a case of follow the crew to Australia or maybe do something a bit alternative. Mm-hmm. So I had thought about volunteering before. So I had gone to the likes, looking the likes of Troker, Concern, Goal, all the big ones. Mm-hmm. At the time, they didn't have any positions free. And then I had remembered coming across a VMM, VMM at some stage. Mm-hmm. And I went looking and they happened to have an accountancy position that they wanted filled pretty much as soon as possible. So it was just, it was a combination of, combination of things, really. Okay. Mm. Do do people have to have to be a Catholic or have to be a Christian or do they have to? That is a question within the movement at the moment, uh, and I think the answer we're coming to is that basically you have to be at a minimum you have to be a Christian. I think okay. it's a Christian. It's an ecumenical movement. Mm-hmm. We work with both Catholics and Protestants and Pentecostals, all types of Christians. But the basic thing is, it's it's a focus is driven from a Christian impetus of being able to help people because you are a Christian. You know, so that's I yeah. So I think you have that's that's kind exactly. of it. Okay. But you know, it, there's all sorts. You have the, the you know f- from the types of people that are you know daily churchgoers to the people that mightn't darken the chore, door of a church yes, except okay. at Christmas mm-hmm. and Easter mm-hmm. and everything kind of in between. 
What kind of period of training did you have before you went out? Uh, per se, you have a week's training, residential training with VMM. Uh, they do it actually down in Kiltegan. Uh, they use oh, it. They right. use a building the building yeah. from the Kiltegan Fathers. Yeah, because they have, they have a good relationship with a lot of the missionary congregations in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So you do a week's residential with them, and then as well as that, there is a place in Dublin called Kimmage, which used to be the house of formation for the Spiritans, so the Holy Ghost Fathers. Yes, remember that. And they now it's now a kind of a small college for development related studies. Mm-hmm. And they run numerous courses under a program called Detalk. And before you go, you can do as many of those courses as you wish and that are appropriate to what you're going to do. And in particular, VMM encourage you to do a week-long course, which is preparation for development workers going overseas. Okay. And you have talkers coming in from Kolov and all DOCUS and all sorts of agencies that are involved with overseas work that will prepare, kind of give you talks on what to expect. Mm-hmm. Then they have their own in-house expertise and advice in terms of preparing you, sorting out your PRSI, advising on medical and insurance and things like that. What about the language? Language courses generally, particularly if you were serving in East Africa, if you're in any country basically aside from Uganda, mm-hmm. the main lingua franca is actually Kiswahili. So generally, if you're going to serve overseas uh, in those areas, they will provide language courses, it's generally six week to two month uh, full immersion language course. Okay. Um, they also do the same in Zambia. Like we serve predominantly in East Africa. Mm-hmm. So you're talking uh, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, uh, South Sudan. Uh, then further south, you go to Zambia, parts of South Africa. Uh, then there's also parts of Mozambique, uh, Malawi. Currently, we have they have people in Guatemala, in South in Central America, and there's a couple of people that are still working in the Philippines. Excellent. Is there a minimum or a maximum time spent? Generally, the contract that you enter into with VMM, they look for two years. Now, you can negotiate for very, you know, but it's, it's, they kind of expect a two-year commitment. And looking back on my own experience, you would actually need the two years mm. mm-hmm. because when you go over, particularly if when you're immersing yourself in the community and you want to kind of get in and, you know, be with them and see what their issues are and how you can help them, mm-hmm. as opposed to going in and tell them they have to do this, this and this, mm. it would take you ending up to six months to get used just to, to get being used there. To, yeah. you just You have to adjust, you have mm. to see what the situation is, kind of understand what's going on, understand the dynamic of the organization that you're going into. Mm-hmm. Like I served with diocese the Diocese of Chi and Domitiana. And I had to get to understand how the diocese was structured, who was responsible for what. I had to get to know the priests and the sisters that were mm-hmm. serving in the diocese. So it took me about six to nine months to figure out how things stood. And then I actually started to work out, well, I'm an accountant, so I had to figure out, well, what's my next step with the accounts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, you know, so it takes time. Like, it's the one concern you would have for people that go for short, like three months, six months work, volunteering work overseas. They do great work, mm-hmm. then there's no taking from that. Yeah. But you, you have to be careful as well that are they actually serving a need yes. mm-hmm. is the question that you mm-hmm. must always ask. Yes. And it's something that you have to be very careful. Um, like I remember this was a discussion I actually had with my, my boss outside, Father Joseph Suchewa. He was my, my, the guy I reported to. He was right. a great mm-hmm. man, a great, great man. Uh, he is, I should say, he's still there. Mm-hmm. And Joe, actually, you know, I wasn't in Uganda two weeks and Joe said to me, will you extend another year? <laughs> 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 he wanted me to stay for three. Uh, you know, and th- th- their argument is because it takes you so long mm. to adjust you know that's time that kind of you know they lose to a certain extent but that choice is not yours is it to stay for the extra three i mean 
It, it's 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 the way VMM works is there's kind of a three-way agreement between you, the partner, and VMM. So if you decide to extend, you know, that's your own decision. VMM won't force you to extend. Okay. Like they take the view, if you want to come home after two years, they'll pay your ticket and bring you out. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, you know, you've, you, if you sign up for a two-year contract, that's the agreement. Speaking of money now, you, mm. s- you just mentioned there that they'll pay your ticket mm. going out mm-hmm. and coming back again. How does it work? VMM, what they do is VMM will uh, cover your medical, they cover your insurance while you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will cover, help you with your uh, sorting out your vaccines and things before you go. There's the, the training in Kiltegan, they'll cover your detox training. And while you're there, they will also support with a, min, a living allowance, is what okay. we call it. Right. You, know, you, you go as a volunteer, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to get paid as such, but obviously they don't want you to starve. Yeah. Uh, so the support, it's mainly through Irish aid. And through the Irish Missionary Union. Now, the Irish Missionary Union, for people that mightn't have heard of it before, is the umbrella body for all the Irish missionary congregations. Mm-hmm. But it's not just religious. You also have lay missionary groups like VMM, Vitoris Christi. They are all covered by that umbrella body. And the Irish Missionary Union, as a group, draws down money from Irish aid. So we often hear the minister talking about uh, mm. Irish aid money. Mm-hmm. So some of that goes to the religious congregations. And there's a process where you can apply for the funding. And it supports people overseas like volunteers like me that like it supported me for 30 months yeah so you've left Dublin mm-hmm. you arrive in Uganda mm-hmm. what's the experience like what were your first thoughts my first thought was my god what have I got myself into <laughs> <laughs> I can well imagine uh, you know um, like you know it, it, it's, it's a move to a third world country so it mm. requires a lot of kind of changes and adapt- adaptations yeah. like I remember getting off the plane and getting out of the airport at Entebbe and they were in the middle of construction. Right. Uh, because the Queen was coming uh, because the, the Commonwealth meeting, heads of government okay. meeting was going to be in Kampala. Yeah. So you're walking out through a construction site mm-hmm. and it looks like a war zone. Mm. Then you get outside and the traffic in, uh, now, you know, one of the things, one of the risks you take going to Africa, people are worried about you know water and they're worried about illness and things mm. like that. Uh, the most common thing that actually kills or <laughs> injures volunteers <laughs> overseas is actually the traffic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. And I, my, that was my first experience. I was up the front of a big, huge land cruiser and we took off <laughs> into this traffic <laughs> and it's literally, you're holding on, your knuckles are gone white. <laughs> you suddenly reconnected with yeah. God in a whole yeah. new way. Exactly. Because yeah. you were spoken his name quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so that, that was it. But it, and then we get to, I was based in a town called Mitiana. And Mitiana is the cathedral town of the diocese I was working for. And it's also the shrine to one of the Ugandan martyrs that was martyred in 1886. Oh, okay. Uh, St. Noah. Mm-hmm. So the cathedral is actually built on the site of his martyrdom. Mm. And uh, when you arrived there, it was quite, uh, you know, Mithiana, it's it's kind of I don't know if people can kind of picture like it's like a skeeton almost, okay. where the main road bypasses the town. Right. Okay. So, mm. but I hadn't realised this. So I and and before you get to the turn off from Mithiana, there's this little small kind of suburb. There's literally a couple of shacks on the right. side of the road. <laughs> so I'm driving past and suddenly we're turning down to the house and it's like, uh-huh. was that Mithiana? <laughs> it's like, oh uh, God. Uh, <laughs> bit of a change. Just a small bit. Just a small bit. Yeah. But it's it's it's. One thing I will say about the experience is Ugandans are very friendly. Mm. Uh, from the minute I arrived, kind of, I mm. was part of the community. 
And that was, for me, that was one of the most important things that got me through the experience, you know, for the difficult times. Because mm-hmm. there are difficult times. There's no, there's no uh, cutting away from that. Because, you know, you're immersed in the community, but I was pretty much kind of on my own to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. My nearest kind of VM was in, Kampala, was in Kampala City itself. And roughly how far would that uh, have been? About, it's, about, it, it's about 70 kilometers, but because of the conditions of the roads, about two hours. Okay. You know, uh, so that was the nearest VM to me. That was uh, Nessa Quill from Ballangarry. Morning, Nessa, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, then the next set of kind of, the next Mazungu, the next white person was actually Father David Costello. And he's a Carmelite friar. Mm-hmm. He's originally from the from uh, the Irish province of Carmelites, but he's actually now associated with the Californian province. Mm-hmm. And his brother is the parish priest, Father James Costello, in, uh, I'll always get this wrong, it's in, in Bruff. So Excellent. he was my next kind of nearest mm-hmm. Irishman, if you will. So, but after that, you're you're in the community. You're part of the community, and that in itself can be uh, stressful, mm. you know, because you're trying to adjust. You know, they have their own language. It's Luganda, although English is mainly used by a lot of people. But you still have to pick up the words and phrases. You have to get used to the idiom because it's you know. We talk Irish English, mm. and, you know, you mm. know, and you have the Queen's English, and you have American English. Well, believe me, you also have African English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And thinking, yeah. yeah. So that 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 there's some of the things you then you know you're adjusting to the food, the conditions, mm. the heat. Uh, and kind of at the same time, you're also trying to put into practice things like, you know, you must boil the water. Uh, you must make sure that it's, you know, it's kept clean. It's covered. You make sure to take your malaria medication that you're using your mosquito repellent, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And, and, and I know you're over there now as an accountant, right? And, and you sort of had a certain function there, maybe just very briefly. Well, that is because I want to get onto the faith element now in a minute. But what what was your actual job over there? Basically, I was the chief accountant for the diocese, which meant you had which to. Which meant I was managing their finances. So okay. you were accountable. Most of the work involved being accountable to international donors. Okay. So okay. Like one of the donors was Irish Aid. We had mm-hmm. Irish Aid projects. Uh, then we also had projects from Caritas Internationales. This is the big Caritas organization. Uh, the Irish Caritas is Trocra. So right. we had. So if you want to look at it that way, we had Caritas Australia, Caritas Denmark. Mm-hmm. They were the big, the big agencies that we were responsible for our development programs, and then of course we had the church programs like you know church building, uh, presbytery building, convents, schools. So that money was coming in from America, from Germany, from the Vatican through Propaganda Fide. All that had to be accounted for and made sure it was managed. And at the same time, I had 125 priests that basically. They weren't getting support from their parishes because the people couldn't afford it. Exactly. So we had to make sure that they had a basic living allowance each month. Mm-hmm. Okay. From a faith point of view now, you walked out of um, Ireland uh, and you knew the faith culture here and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you walked and then you, you ended up in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Did you see any big difference between the way they practice their Catholic faith over there and the way they practice the Catholic faith here? African religion is so different to our experience of it here. It's, it's phenomenal. Mm. It's alive. It's full of life. It is life giving and it is part of the very culture that they have. Like liturgies are absolutely wonderful. Like uh, I mentioned Father David Costello and I used to go to visit David one weekend during each month and we would go out into his sub parishes from his parish. So you're talking about mud-built churches where you might have a grass roof or a tin roof. Mm -hmm. They see their priest once every two to three months and they come for Mass. And that liturgy, you could have 20 baptisms 
Wow. Mm. Yeah. And it's all done within the context of mass, you know, and the music, the drums. Like, I, it was so funny. I was reading an article the other day about a priest in Nigeria where he said mass for a community. They hadn't seen a priest for six months. The church had not been knocked or fallen down. And they said mass in the courtyard of a Muslim house. Mm-hmm. And the entrance hymn lasted for an hour. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, you, like you know, because they were celebrating, they had a priest in exactly. mass. Yes. You know, yes. and that's the joy the exuberance Africans have for celebrating their liturgies. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that always struck me about it was you had people, many of whom couldn't read and write, mm. you know, they, they most, most of them probably have never been to, particularly adults because of the war that was in Uganda. They may not have been to school. Right. It's basic reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And you went in and the singing was like three, four part harmony. Beautiful. Anything that could happen. And it could be in anything up to four languages. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. it always surprised me. People say, oh, why are they still using Latin in the church or this and that? We, you know, you'd go into these small churches. They would sing, you know, the, the Holy, Holy, the mm-hmm. Our Father the, and the Gloria in Latin. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then as well as that, they would also use Kiswahili. They would use Luganda for hymns. They would use English. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow. You yes. know, and the, the ceremonies were so beautiful, so life giving, so, you know, the music, the drums, the dancing. Like, that's the one thing I kind of get annoyed about about Irish liturgy here is what we call liturgical dance in Ireland. Mm-hmm. It's not native to us. No. Mm-hmm. No. It does, and, and, and that's the whole thing about dance within the context of mass. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be part of the culture. And for us, it's not part of our culture. But I, I was at a mass where a sister had taken first vows and there was a mass at her family home uh, to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And sister invited me along, Sister Rose, and her mother got up after communion. And because of her joy that her daughter had taken vows and become a nun, she danced for 10 minutes, giving thanks to God. And all that comes into your head is Mm. that image from the Old Testament of David dancing before the Mm. ark as it is carried into Jerusalem. Mm. Because literally... The wild abandonment, the exuberance of the joy that was there, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That is what liturgy, that's one thing I learned from the Africans. Liturgy is supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be joy. It is supposed to be exuberant. Mm-hmm. It is supposed to give us life, renew us for the week that is to come, you know, and to give us hope. Mm. Because ultimately, that's what Christianity is about. And if, if, if you know, you cannot, you cannot be a witness in faith if you're not joyful about it. You exactly. Know, if you go out of church and you still got a long puss on you because you think the priest went on for 20 minutes too long, mm-hmm. then there's something seriously wrong. There's something wrong. missing. Mm. Either, you know, and we have to look at that, mm. particularly in an Irish context. Mm-hmm. Irish people were fabulous singers. Mm. You have 20,000 people singing inside in Thoman Park and <laughs> it's a <laughs> fabulous choir. It's a religious you experience. <laughs> 500 of them across the door of the church and they all lose their voice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm thinking about doing? I know, th- I know this wasn't planned. But what about if we take a break now? We'll have to go for the ad, come back, and we'll continue on with the interview and maybe blend it in with the gospel, maybe the second yeah. part. Would that be okay? Yeah, no so I might continue on playing that little piece of music that I had going before, which is Shelter Me God, just to lead us out. Let's see how it goes.
Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. And welcome back to the second part of Sacred Space here in West Limerick 102. My name is John Keeley and I'm joined this morning by Lorraine Buckley and we're having a chat with, we've been very nice to you so far anyway. Very Shane. nice, Shane. Uh, Shane Ambrose uh, and Shane, Shane has just been filling us in on his time in Uganda, his, his entrance into working with the VMMs in Uganda. So, Lorraine... Um, yeah, Shane, you left Dublin. You were working in Dublin. You arrive out in Mitiana in Uganda. Was there a difference between the lifestyle in terms of, you know, Dublin's quite an an urban kind of um, money-led city. Mm. And then you arrive out into effectively the middle of nowhere? Effectively, yes, the middle of nowhere. Mm. That's a good way to describe it. Um, I suppose leaving all that's familiar to move to a new place is always a challenge. But, mm. you know, when that new place is kind of a move to a third world country, it brings its own particular difficulties. Um, but you need to be able to kind of embrace, I suppose, what you could describe as kind of a form of poverty. Okay. Um, you know, to be able to live where you are in the circumstances that are there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's one of the challenges for people that go to work overseas. Uh, particularly in a voluntary capacity. You've got to accept what's there, that it's there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. Now, VMM takes the responsibility of making sure that their volunteers have adequate housing and access to clean water. Okay. But the definition of adequate housing and access to clean water, you know... It's a little it, different it's, here. It's a little different, yeah. you know. Um, you know, but the whole idea is that, that, you know, when you have this type of, this spirit of poverty, kind of, it makes yourself kind of available to be open to what's happening. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. to be able to see what's going on, to be able to give yourself time to see what's there. So in a the sense, y- you weren't driving to a hotel and air conditioning and sky and all the rest of it afterwards. Any stretch of the imagination. I did have luxurious accommodation in mm-hmm. terms of what the locals had. Okay. Uh, I at least had running water. Right. Um, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, electricity, when it worked. <laughs> um, a hot shower was a luxury. Mm-hmm. An enjoyable one, but a luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so it's kind of that's kind of the physical, the physical poverty, if you want to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, but it's, it's and I, but it's kind of it's even the using the term poverty is very loaded. But at the same time, then you also needed to kind of to be spiritually poor, right? Because you had to be humble. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you go to work overseas, you have to be able to. To put it bluntly, you've got to be able to be humble mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. because you've got to be able to humble enough to expect or not to expect major impact because of your presence. Because yeah, there's, okay. there's a danger in going over as well of thinking I'm from a first world country. I know everything right. I mm. My way is the only way. Exactly. And of course, we live in a world which demands results. Mm. Now, two, three years after I went to Uganda, I think I have had impact. Mm-hmm. I hope I have had impact, mm-hmm. but maybe not in the sense that I thought I would have impact in terms of basic accounting. Okay. It mm-hmm. could also have been how you trained or you related to a person mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. maybe inadvertently a project that you supported or something like that. You know, so you, you have to be open to being able to see what way the spirit will blow because mm-hmm. ultimately that's what we're talking about. Because when you go kind of, kind of with VMM, you go as a Christian missionary mm-hmm. and you go as a witness to your faith. And your witness is you being there, living and working as a layperson. You know, you don't have to be in orders. You don't have to be a cleric to be a witness overseas as a missionary. Exactly. And this is this is the thing that VMM kind of stresses to a certain extent. You know, there are times, you know, when you're in the middle of troubles and challenges and you're thinking to yourself, oh, God, 
get me out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's nothing for it. Put the head down, you know, and get on with it. You know, exactly. that's what you're there for to a certain mm-hmm. extent. You know, because the day that the water's not running and you're drawing jerry cans from the well, mm-hmm. you know, you know what the women go through every morning and the mm-hmm. children, because it's the women and children do the water. When you're sitting in the dark of an African night listening to, you know, the insects chirping outside the door, the stars, the African skies, because there's no light pollution, mm-hmm. you see the moon, you see the stars. As, as it is. As it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sitting there with your paraffin lamp and mm-hmm. it's like you're, you can see what it is that it's night. Mm. You know, you know, uh, no electricity, no, maybe no running water. Uh, the one luxurious luxury that I gave myself when I was in Midiana was I got an internet connection. Right. And I paid for an internet connection mm. because it was my connection to the outside world. Mm. So it's kind of surreal. You're sitting there in an African <laughs> night. Uh, you've no lights. Mm. Like the, the, the laptop's working off battery. You don't mm. know how long it's left. And I'm listening to, you know, RT Radio 157 Live. Very <laughs> <laughs> interesting. You know, uh, you know, it was, yeah. But I imagine that's quite important as well, though, for keeping in touch with your family it and friends at keep, home. Mm. Keeping in touch, keeping in community mm. is important. Because I was, you know, you were part of kind of, you know, you're part of three communities while you're there the physical community that you're in which mm-hmm. i'll come back to okay you're part of the vmm community mm-hmm. so you know you couldn't stay in that situation all the time so every six seven weeks i would go to kampala mm-hmm. and i would spend the weekends visiting other vms in kampala and we'd go out for a meal or we'd we'd go to the the cinema well cinema in kampala is one screen <laughs> so, okay. you know uh, or we'd go for we go i might go for a nice meal and for a drink and you mm-hmm. just relax and mm-hmm. you know if you wanted to you know complain to each other about the situation and get moral support yeah and then generally on sunday mornings uh the crew that I was with, we always went to mass together and then I'd start making the journey back to Mitiana. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you're with your family community because mm-hmm. I have to say my family were a great support to me while I was away. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's kind of almost a family business. <laughs> someone said to me recently because I have an uncle who's in the Philippines. He's a Mill Hill. Okay. okay. I have an aunt who's in South Africa. She's a sister of Nazareth. Ah. And I have two aunts in Glasgow who are also sisters in Nazareth. You had okay. no hope, really, had you? <laughs> not, not a chance. <laughs> you know? No, it's all so, coming out. You know, it, it, is, it, is, it is kind of in the family, but they were great. I I have to say that about yeah. my family. They Isn't were, that they super? They were yeah. brilliant support. Mm. And, you know, friends that stayed in touch, mm. that made the effort. Because you know, it's expensive to make a phone call to Uganda. Mm-hmm. And you had people that would pick up the phone from time to time and just say, you know, how are you doing? Yeah. How are you getting on? Lovely. But then, of course, there's the community that you're part of. Mm. And for me, I think that was one of the most important parts, that I became part of that community at Chienda. Wow. You had... The, the, I suppose I should explain that in the compound where I was living, you had three convents of sisters. Mm-hmm. You had one enclosed convent of Carmelite nuns, five of whom were from Germany. Mm-hmm. You had a priest residence because you had the priests that were working at the administration of the diocese. My immediate next door neighbor were two brothers that ran a carpentry workshop. Right. And then, of course, you had the cathedral precincts and the presbytery that went with the cathedral as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, that was the, the, the Basechimu. That's what they call it, the local community. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Basechimu is what we were, you know, the collective term in Luganda. And that, the, you know, that was the Basechimu I was part of. And, you know, it was, you know, they're, brilliant bunch of people mm. they're a brilliant brilliant bunch of people uh, you know if there was anything going on you know Shane are you coming for supper isn't no, that lovely you know, oh, yeah, supper yeah. I know, supper could be basically a pot of rice and a bit of stew mm. but it was the conversation and the camaraderie around mm. the table and always well how are you doing and is there anything we can do for you and you know it was like a family you were absorbed into and it, it, it the sense of community and like none of these people were related mm-hmm. they were related in the context that particularly for the sisters because I really got to know the sisters 
they were a religious family, mm. both the Carmelites and also the local congregation, the Gagania sisters. And it was an eye opener into our understanding of religious life mm. because, or my understanding of religious life, because of course in Ireland, religious life has a bad press. Yes. Mm. When you say religious life, people are thinking of what has happened that came mm. out in the Ryan and the Murphy yeah. reports and generally old religious. Mm-hmm. Like the average age of the religious in Uganda is 27. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a young, young really church, young, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, young and, vibrant. and to be with people of your own age and mm-hmm. to see that their joy and their enthusiasm in their own vocation mm-hmm. would give you support in what you were doing, you know. Um, and then, of course, the other side of it is that you kind of fate is also an element that supports a VM. Mm-hmm. And for me, I discovered uh through the Carmelites, the joys of the divine office are the liturgy of the hours, you know, it's which is beautiful. most, most people know of or heard of a priest has to pray his breviary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I suppose I hadn't realized is actually the rec- the, the, re- the request of the church is that we all do it mm-hmm. because the, the, the liturgy of the hours is the official prayer of the church. You pray on behalf of the church with the church for the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was one thing I discovered with the Carmelites. Mm-hmm because I started joining them for morning and evening prayer. And, you know, to sit in the dark of an African morning, you know, the, the Muslim call to prayer has gone out across the air because we had a lot of Muslims in the local town. And the sisters have mm-hmm. rang their bell, so the Christians have been called to prayer. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting in the darkness, and suddenly, you, you know, you hear the, the clap as Mother, Mother Superior kind of indicates that we're beginning. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, out of the darkness, the sister will start singing mm-hmm. the, the morning hymn. And literally, as you're praying those prayers of a morning prayer, where you're kind of welcoming the light of day, of a new day, and you're thanking God for it, mm-hmm. the dawn is coming in across the chapel. Beautiful. And, you know, it's like you can see it happening in front mm-hmm. of you. A new creation every day. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're, and when you're going through those prayers and those psalms, because that's what basically what the Liturgy of the Hours is, it's praying the psalms. Mm-hmm. And, you might think to yourself, well, you know, this particular psalm doesn't apply to me. But somewhere in the world, exactly. there is someone that it yeah. does. Yeah, that's Absolutely. Good. You know, that's, that was the thing that I learned from mm. those sisters, because they're enclosed. Mm. But they, they sit at the feet of the master and they bring before him the needs and the intentions and the necessities of the world, like, you know, and of their local community. And they prayed especially for the diocese. Mm-hmm. And they were, they, they're the most funniest, <laughs> wonderful women <laughs> I have ever met. Very good. You know, Love it. You, know, you, know, you know, you'd go in. Now, you'd go into the parlor and you'd meet them. Now, you're sitting on one side of a table or a mm-hmm. bench and there's 12 of them sitting on the other side. <laughs> so it's a bit intimidating the first couple of times. It's almost like a press yeah, conference. Yeah. Bit pretty much like what's happening here in students' yeah. morning <laughs> listeners. Yeah. But you're talking to the sisters and, and, you know, they're, they're asking you your news and they're telling you about their lives in the, in the, in the caramel. And, you know, it's, 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 it's wonderful, you know, because you see two sides of, of, of the life, mm. but you see the contemplatives and the Carmelites, but you also see the active sisters that were out working in the schools and the community. It's a bit like Mary and Martha. Really, Pretty much. Isn't it? And that was kind of the image I had in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, you need both Mary and Martha. Mm-hmm. And that for me is what the sisters were about. They were, you know, they were both, both necessity to that life of that diocese. Yeah. Because the Gagania sisters were working as the teachers. They were running our diocesan health units predominantly, um, 18 of them. Um, 
and you had the Carmelites, the house of prayer at the site of the martyrdom of St. Noah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were the prayer house, the engine of that diocese mm-hmm. and helping it to keep going, strengthening the faith of the priests of the diocese, the bishop, because I know he called there, like, the bishop was one of my neighbours and, you know, he called there very frequently to talk to the sisters, to mm-hmm. request their prayers for something. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was the whole sense of community. And then, of course, there was the lads. <laughs> you know, the lads. The lads. Uh, the, the, the padre the padres that I lived with, the priests that were there, okay. and they were, you know, wonderful guys, human. You know, it's 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 living in community. You know, and you know, there's no one perfect, and you have your up days and your down days, and you'll argue with someone, you won't mm-hmm. argue with someone. Mm-hmm. But they were, you know, they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. Would you recommend it? Oh God, yeah. But at the same time, life as a missionary, particularly in that kind of a context. Or even as a volunteer, you say, if you were to go with someone like Goal or Concern, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, you know, a non-NGO, a non-governmental organization, so it doesn't have the fate element built in, but it's, it's almost for the mad. Mm-hmm. You have to be slightly eccentric. Slightly cracked to yeah, let the life through. To, exactly. You have to be slightly eccentric uh, to consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the common consensus as VMMs that we came to, yeah. you know. But I would recommend it if you are in a position where you can go, you mm-hmm. feel you can go. It's not for everyone, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's 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 something that mm-hmm. people should consider. Well, especially in these recessionary times when maybe a lot of professionals might find themselves suddenly exactly. out of work. Like they're like uh, VMM at this moment in time, they have requests for doctors, nurses, teachers, pharmacists, accountants. Uh, they have requests from all over Africa. Because that's they're the areas that they focus on. So if there's people out there that would think, well, you know, what's you know, two years, mm-hmm. hopefully by the time you come back, things will have picked up. Yeah, you know? exactly. But it's it struck me, John, that it's it was so appropriate in some ways because of this morning's gospel. Mm. Because this morning's gospel is from Luke chapter seventeen, verses five to ten, and it talks about two separate little incidents where Jesus is talking to the apostles, and one is where the apostles asked Jesus to uh, you know increase their faith, mm. and the other one then is the next part is about. Uh, the servant coming in from the fields and doing his job. Mm-hmm. So I think what we'll do, I think we'll develop that mm-hmm. in the last section because time's caught us again. And I'd say I better go for a break. You've got a piece of music there now, Shane. Um, was it from World Youth Day? Or yeah, this, 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 this is an interesting piece of music. It's from the 2002 World Youth Day, which was held in Toronto. Uh, it's an English and French piece and it's called I Am Called. And it's, I think it's a good lead-in to this week's gospel. to the altar the gentle sacrifice he beckons me I answer though at times I run and hide but hearing him my heart is open wide
Sacred space on West Limerick 102. Okay, well. I'm planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, with a servant ploughing or minding sheep, would say to him when he returned from the fields, Come and have your meal immediately? Would he not be more likely to say, Get my supper laid, make yourself tidy, and wait on me while I eat and drink? You can eat and drink yourself afterwards. Must he be grateful to the servant for doing what he was told? So with you, when you have done all you have been told to do, say, We are merely servants. We have done no more than our duty. An interesting gospel again this week, uh, this week, Lorraine. It's a beautiful one, isn't it? It is, but I suppose one thing we should remember, I suppose, uh, is that it's not actually linked if you okay. will. There are two separate parts. You have mm-hmm. the bit about faith and then you have the bit about the servant. Nice. And I suppose for us in Ireland, that servant one is very, very appropriate at the moment, yeah. particularly in the context of our church. Mm-hmm. Because we look at our priests and our religious as people who have dedicated themselves to the way of the Lord, mm-hmm. particularly, you know. Mm-hmm. And s- some of them have been failures. They have let us down big mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. you know. And then... There's those that haven't been failures in that in the sense of the Ryan report and the Murphy report, mm-hmm. but they might be failing us because they're tired mm-hmm. and they have no energy. Uh, and I suppose we have expectations that maybe sometimes that's too high. Mm-hmm. But I suppose what we have to kind of to remind, I suppose, ourselves is that, you know, we're merely servants. We're doing no more than our duty. Mm-hmm. And for priests and laity, like that's a very harsh comment. Isn't it? That you know, because it makes you humble. Mm. Makes you very, very humble. Because I know myself, if I do something good, I almost want the little pat on the back or the little kudos. Exactly. Mm. It's kind of a case of, you know, Jesus almost saying to us, well, you did it, well, so what? (laughs) You're a Christian, get on (laughs) with it. You know, it's kind of hard knock Christianity to a certain extent. And that's very harsh sometimes for us Mm. to listen to. But I suppose it kind of keeps us in mind of, you know, it's, we're supposed to be humble. Mm. You know, and on one sense, yes, but you know, it's you know you know a Christian by the way that they live. Mm-hmm. I think is that is the great thing, and you know it's it's kind of almost that's kind of your your actions you know justify what you say about yourself about being a Christian, mm-hmm. and you know it's not enough that you just do the bare minimum and kind of expect a pat on the back for that. Mm-hmm. You know, like the nature of us that are dedicated to God through our baptism. Our dedication is never finished. Mm. It's continuous. And it's not that you have to go to Africa or it's not that you have to go into religious life or into the priesthood. Mm. 
it's you're doing what you're supposed to be doing to the best of your ability mm-hmm. in your own circumstances. You're doing the work of God in your own life. Exactly. That's why last week's Saint, Saint mm. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, yeah. her little way, it was doing the small things to the best of her ability. Mm-hmm. You know, or it's also associated with Saint Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, mm-hmm. where the, you know, you look at the everyday things in life, your circumstances, and how are you doing those and offer them to God. Mm. Or it's a very Benedictine thing from St. Benedict, mm-hmm. where you do the Opus Dei, you kind of pause and reflect and you look at your manual labor and how is that glorifying God? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great tradition we have within the church, mm-hmm. how we look at our ordinary circumstances and how, you know, and of course it comes back to the whole role of the apostolate of the laity. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not meant all to be standing around the order, altar consecrating bread and wine. That is mm-hmm. the role of a priest. Mm-hmm. As lay people, our active participation in the liturgy of life mm. is that we're out in the community being witnesses to our faith in what we do, what we say, mm. how we say it, you know, how we interact with those around us. And kind of that's kind of the important yeah. thing. Shane, just, just staying, staying with the gospel, staying with the first section of the gospel, relating to your story. Mm. And that first, that first sentence there, increase our faith. Mm. When you went out there, did that apply to you? Did you was your faith increased when you when you went out to Uganda and saw these people? Liturgy? It challenges your faith definitely. Okay. Um, well, in terms of what they had to put up with, and yeah, uh, and, and how they had, still managed to I, to cling on, because suffering is the one thing that Af- an African experience will bring to the fore. Um, after three years in Africa, I still cannot say to someone you know if someone says to me where is God in the suffering or why does God let suffering happen Mm. I can't give an answer Mm. I'm Mm. not God Mm. but what I can say is as a Christian as a person that believes is if we accept that Jesus was crucified then he's in the middle of that suffering exactly he has gone through it Mm. he knows what it is to suffer Mm -hmm. he's with you you, you I think of our listeners particularly the sick you know, if you're 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 in pain, you're in suffering because of your illness, mm-hmm. or you're lonely. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not you're not kind of suffering it in a cocoon because mm-hmm. Jesus is there with you. Exactly, yeah. and that's that's the only comfort we can take really from it. And it sounds a, a little bit like a platitude, you know, that mm. suffering is a mystery, but it's it's a great truth. Mm. Suffering is a mystery, and as you said, like Christ is in the middle of it, and it's the last thing maybe that you want to hear when you are suffering. Yeah, exactly. But it's, but it's also kind of you know, it should be the prayer of every Christian. Mm. Uh, Lord, I believe, uh, help thou my unbelief. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing we have to be careful of because sometimes we can be too cocky. Mm. We think we know all the answers. Mm. But remember that if you have an image of God, chances are that's not God. Exactly. You know, our understanding of God cannot quantify or characterize what he is. Mm -hmm. We can begin to understand what he is in the silence of our own hearts. Mm. You know, because that was one of the great things I I discovered when I was doing theology in Dublin. I studied it as a night course for two years because I was curious. Mm. And I said, well, you know, church says A, B, C and D. Well, why? Exactly. You know, yeah. And one of the guys we came across was Thomas Aquinas. Now, Thomas Aquinas is a f- brilliant saint of the church. He's a doctor of the church. Yes. His theology is the foundations for a lot of the stuff that they teach. And at the end of his life, he turned around and said, it's all straw. Mm. You know, you know, so that's a man who had dedicated his life to teaching and writing. And ultimately, it comes back to sitting in the stillness, sitting in the quietness 
and opening yourself to that personal relationship with God. Mm. That's what it ultimately comes back to. You know, it can be in the quiet of an African dawn or it can be sitting in a kitchen in West Limerick looking out the window as the rain beats down and the gorse is kind of dying back for the autumn. Or, you know, it could be sitting in a car looking out over the Shannon on a wintry evening and wondering to yourself, what's it all about? Mm. Mm -hmm. And just allowing that silence kind of to to take us where it will. Mm. Shane, we're under pressure for time, right? <laughs> but, as usual. But, but just one last thing. How did it... Ch how, was Shane changed from when he went out there and when he came back? Did, uh, how did you... Did you change in your thinking? You become uh, more aware of other people. Okay. Um, and you become more patient. But one thing Africans teach you is patience. Mm -hmm. You rediscover the meaning of time. And you rediscover the joys of family. Beautiful. Shane, thank you very much indeed. Lorraine, a quickie? Just to mention our saints for the week, lest we forget them, because we have a Limerick saint this week mm -hmm. as well today, which isn't actually celebrated, but it's the feast day of Blessed Columba Marmion. Uh, tomorrow, Monday, we have St. Francis of Assisi, personal favourite of mine. Yeah, the great saint of poverty. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, we have St. Faustina. She's the, sister, the woman that's associated with the promotion of the Divine Mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, Wednesday, we have St. Bruno. Now, Bruno is an unusual one. He is the man that founded the Cartusians. Oh. Uh, they're, the, they're kind of, these are the shock troops of the church. <laughs> these are the shock troops. These yeah. are the real serious religious, you know. <laughs> these are the main. Yeah. And then on Thursday, John, we have uh, Our Lady of the Rosary. The Rosary. Oh, beautiful beautiful. Feast. Yeah. So they're, 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 they're the ecclesial or celestial guides we have this week. They're an interesting bunch. Uh, but unfortunately, we're <laughs> we out, of we're out of time because we had a beautiful, we had a really beautiful program there this morning. Shane, thank you very much indeed for talking to us and, thank you, and, and, and sharing with us some of that wonderful joy that you picked up out in Uganda. Lorraine, thank you very much indeed for You're joining us. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Under pressure. But anyway, we'll, we will go out with one that I am going to dedicate to Shane. This is from, um, from an album called Center Stage from Mark Forrest and he's singing my way. Let's hear this. Without exemption, I plan. 
its charted course Each careful step Along the byway More Much more than this I did it God's way Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew So this is the prayer for reading and reflecting on Scripture. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our eyes wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. 
We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Lorraine, would you mind reading the Gospel, please? This morning's Gospel is from the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, Were your faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you with a servant ploughing or minding sheep would say to him when he returned from the fields, Come and have your meal immediately? Would he not be more likely to say, Get my supper laid, make yourself tidy, and wait on me while I eat and drink? You can eat and drink yourself afterwards. Must he be grateful to the servant for doing what he was told? So with you, when you have done all you have been told to do, say, We are merely servants. We have done no more than our duty. This is the Gospel of Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much, Dave Lorraine. Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. Okay, okay we had to do that anyway, just in case, because we need...